Good morning, y'all. How's it going? Uh, oh, right. I'm moving forward in live stream. Hey, um, uh, just a reminder, I am um, new. My name's Tom, and my wife's Wendy. She's actually not here today. She's um, back east uh, with her family, but um, I think she might be on the live stream. Um, but but uh, I, um, I am working with Wade. Uh, we're working together, and so... Um, I'm grateful for that, and, and already I've learned so much from the elders of this church and from Wade, his kindness. So, um, oh, and this is my first time ever preaching with my iPad, so, because, um, you know, I got, I had LASIK. Anyway, so I'm, I forgot I needed to open this and turn it on, and I also don't know how to silence and stop the notification, so I'm probably going to, anyway, um, don't worry about me, I'll be fine. Um, Right, so I'm going to have you guys stand again for the reading of the scripture, um, and I'll let you know. Gosh, I was already at the bottom. Okay, so uh, if you'd stand for the reading of God's word again, you know, get the... We're in Genesis uh, chapter 1. You know, I preached from Revelation 1 the last time I preached, so I guess it makes sense I'll be in Genesis. Not really, it's not planned that way. Um, So let me get there. This is God's most holy and infallible word. Genesis 1, just the first two verses this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is God's most holy word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we would just ask that by your word and your spirit that you would transform our lives, that we'd be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for standing for that. So I might have already shared this, um, but it's it's worth repeating. I think that during during my PhD studies, I was not pastoring. I wasn't. Um, I just got my PhD, right? So I wasn't pastoring at all for over five years, and um, I was around academic people like all the time. And any if any of you are around academic people, good for you. Or if you're an academic. Good for you also. Um, but one of the things that happened to me during my academic work that I was, that God gave me the privilege of being able to do was that I felt kind of silenced by, because in academic circles, at least where I was, um, you, you kind of feel like you're an imposter. Like everything you're saying has no support or evidence or you, you're not really making a good case for you, you know, what you're arguing. And you just, and so at some point I just felt like I couldn't say anything. And and so it was just kind of weird, and I, I thought it was kind of a unique experience, but then I talked to other students and other academics who were like, oh, yeah, we all don't know what we're talking about, and we all feel kind of silenced all the time, or we're, you know, so that made me feel better, because I always feel like I have unique, weird experiences that no one else, but that's something that other people were experiencing. So, so this last year, being back in the States, uh, we were in the UK, y'all know that, um, I've been in a lot of different venues, and I've realized I've sort of found my voice again, which is so great. Um, but what I'm realizing is things aren't kind of like trickling out, you know, that I've found my voice and being able to speak again and say stuff, but things aren't trickling out. It's like they're like pouring out without warning, and um, maybe some of that's due to the pandemic. So I blame, I'm going to blame a lot of things on that for a while, but, um, but what I mean is, you know, at this point, pastoring, I'm really asking God to help me find the right number of words, the, the, the words in the right order, at the right time, and the right intensity. And so far, I'm not really doing that very well, but 
I'm just letting you know that's something that's happening to me right now, and I, I'm feeling that um, just, you know, I'm talking again, but um, sometimes I'm wondering what's coming out of my mouth. So, okay, I just wanted to let you guys know that. Um, so, have you ever felt spiritually cold, you know, um, and, and if so, if so, and if you haven't, praise the Lord, it, it, might, it might be coming if, if you haven't. Um, and if, if you felt spiritually cold in your life, how has God sort of thawed you out from that kind of coldness? And when I say cold, for me, and it, may, it may not sound exactly this way for you. You have to think about your own walk with God. But when I feel cold spiritually, it usually means I feel a little bit hopeless, a little bit, you know, that I just sort of am on that verge of just feeling hopeless. And so I, I felt that way throughout my Christian life, and maybe you have as well. Um, and I want us to think a little bit, how does God dislodge us out of that kind of, you know, on the edge of hopelessness or thaw us out spiritually? How does he do that? And obviously it's going to be unique for all of us, but I, I, um, I was remembering a time where I was teaching, this is a while ago, but and I, I've been spiritually cold since then too, but this, this is a time I remember um, where I was teaching and I was, in, I was at a Christian university. I was at William Jessup University and I was one night teaching, this was before COVID, and I was actually disrespecting K-Love, the radio station. Are y'all, do y'all have that in the bay? Uh, oh, Wade's already given it a thumbs down. Okay, <laughs> so, uh, so I was... I was disrespecting it in front of a class of 25 students at a Christian university, and uh, Caleb is a Christian radio station, and I was saying things, I mean, I got on a tirade, which y'all, I mean, the elders are already aware, I do tirades, you know, I just start going, but I was just talking about how they only play the same 40 songs over and over again, and every time I get in the car at 5 o'clock after work, it's always those same two songs that are on there, and it's just, you know, and I was just going, going. And after class, of course, of course, I offended every, you know, most everyone. And after class, a student came up to me and he said, hey, um, Tom, how about this? On your ride home tonight, turn on K-Love. And if you're not, and oh, and I was spiritually really cold at that moment, right? So I'm disrespecting K-Love. I'm just having this cold. I mean, not, I was just having a time in my life where I wasn't really. Anyway, so this, this student said, on your way home, listen to K-Love. And if by the time you arrive at home, you haven't been encouraged in your walk with God, then I don't want you to ever listen to K-Love again. And I'm like, challenge accepted. That will be, I won't have to listen to Caleb again. I'll be able to tell you guys next week, you know. So I, y'all know how this story is going to go, don't you? Already, you can tell. So I got in my car. I mean, I'm going to finish it. Is that okay? Finish story. So I got in my car and um, I'm driving. I turn on Caleb and I'm, you know, I have like a 10 minute whatever drive. And so I'm going. And this was a while ago. So Chris Tomlin's Jesus Loves Me song came on. And it's not Jesus Loves Me, the children's. I mean, that's, I like that one. Um, but this one, um, the bridge of the song says, Jesus holds the stars and he holds my heart with healing hands that bear the scars. The rugged cross where he died for me, my hope, my everything. There was just, it got to the bridge and I just immediately was thawed out. And I was like, oh no, no, God, no, I'm going to have to tell the student. And so I went back the next week. I was like, I mean, God literally just sort of ripped away some of my crusty. Again, being cold toward God for me is also a crustiness that's there. It's like, don't even think that the gospel will get through to me. Like, don't even, you know, I'm sort of just, I don't know if you ever have that kind of time in your life. But 
this song just completely by God's spirit and grace. And, you know, Chris Tomlin's a great singer. I mean, it just ripped everything wide open. And I was, I'm going to have to keep K-Love going. So I don't know. I mean, God uses all sorts of ways, right, to sort of thaw us out. But if, if you look at the words of this song, it is the gospel, really, that, I mean, what I was hearing again in the spirit applying it, and as crusty as I was and as cold as I was and as hopeless as I felt, um, it was the gospel, you know, that, that really jarred me back. It, it, it is. And, and so if you think about your life, I think, it, I think it's going to be the same, that as believers, it still is the gospel that, you know, kind of brings us back around. Um, so why do, we get, why do we get hopeless? Or how, and again, hopeless is probably too extreme a word, because, but why do we get in those places? Um, if we're believers, you know, we're supposed to you know, have the gospel. Um, and I think it's, and you're like, are you ever going to talk about Genesis? I'm sure, thank you, I, I will. Only two verses today. So, um, and oh, over the next times that I'm going to be preaching uh, through this year, which is not, we don't have that much time this year, um, I'm going to be looking at Genesis, some of the narrative of Genesis. So, um, just to let you know that. And, uh, and I'll, I'll get to Genesis, I promise. Um, but, so just, it's, it's interesting how we get to places um, and just, ha- this is a little bit of how my mind works, uh, and I'm, I'm wanting you to see a little bit how my mind works, so that'll help you in the next few months a little bit while I'm preaching maybe, but um, so I watch Jeopardy every week. Okay, anybody else? I, I do, this is not rhetorical, I want to know, does anybody else watch Jeopardy in here? All right, okay, two, all right. So, you know, old people watch Jeopardy, older people, I think, but um, that show will make you feel like you're not an academic if you are an academic. That show is so really hard. Y'all know they've got two new co-hosts now because Alex Trebek, and those of you who don't watch Jeopardy, this is, I know, I get it. But they have, it's a game show, and they have two new co-hosts, Ken Jennings, who won on Jeopardy for like a year and has like $3 million, and now he's a co-host. You know, like he's super intelligent guy. And then they've got this actress who, whose name is Mayim Bialik, and she was in be- Beaches, like that, as a child actress. Anybody? No, okay. And then she also was in the Big Bang Theory TV show. Okay. So she's an actress, but she's also got a PhD in neuroscience. Um, and so she's an academic and she has like podcasts where she's talking about, you know, the chemistry of the brain and how it works and all of this stuff. And so I was actually looking up her Wikipedia and kind of just trying to figure out, she's a really interesting person because she's got this PhD. She's like an actress. She's now she's a co-host on Jeopardy, like just, and she's got a podcast. I was like, she's really interesting. So then that sent me on a trail after like neuroscience and real, I was on a trail where I found this, I ran across this case um, from the 1950s of a man, um, his name was Henry Mollison. Anybody in academics or in science know? It's kind of a famous uh, case where he, uh, this guy named Henry, he as a child and even into his adult life, he was having seizures that were almost killing him. And so at the time in the 50s, they, they did something to his uh, hippocampus. They like clipped it or I'm, I'm not a science person. So they, they did a surgery to try to stop the seizures and it worked. However, what happened to Henry, and it's a, a pretty famous case. And by the way, I'm not making light of, 
Alzheimer's or dementia or some of the things that are, you know, plaguing our human being, our persons these days. But what happened to Henry was the seizure stopped, but he absolutely lost all short-term memory, meaning that you could spend an hour with him and tell him your whole life story, which some of you know that's what I'd probably do um, in, in the hour. And, and then you could walk back in the room 30 seconds later and he would, he would have to be reintroduced to you all over again. Like he would not remember any. Of, of the conversation he had with you. So he only had like a 30 second, and even an hour with him, you would have to repeat. So he, he had this condition his whole life, and then he gave his brain, he allowed to be, himself to be studied, and his brain, um, I think, is still being studied today. I mean, like, they've made images of it and all of that. So why am I telling you this story? Like, please, would you get to a point? Yes. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, the point is, and I'm not making light of Henry because I don't think Henry took himself as seriously as even science has taken him because he couldn't remember. I mean, what a gift to not remember. Oh, that would be such a gift in some ways. Um, but what I'm trying to illustrate is simply this. As believers, I think we are somewhat spiritually in the same realm as Henry. We are we're 32nd. We only know 30. So when the gospel is presented to us, we hear it. We, we might be saved by it, you know, in those moments. And, and it's saving us, and it will save us. But, you know, I walk out of church, and I'm, I'm not thinking. It's not, it's not having the same effect. I'm sort of forgetting it. You see what I'm saying? Like, the, the way Henry could really embrace a person, which he did. He was a lovely man, and he embraced every person that ever walked into his life. But then, after, you know, he couldn't remember them. So the gospel, a lovely thing that is good news, right? That Christ died, that he, he gives us all of our life uh, and, and eternity, and yet... I feel like 30 seconds later, I've forgotten it, and I'm cold spiritually, and I'm, and I'm hopeless. And so I have to be reminded of the gospel just in a constant, ongoing way. And, um, and that's my life. I don't know, and maybe that doesn't describe your Christian life, but it feels like it describes mine. So one of the things I'm going to be saying the entire time that I get to be pastoring, co-pastoring here, is that the gospel is your only hope. It is what Christ has done for us is is not just something that's for outside the church, because maybe for decades in modern American evangelicalism, the gospel is meant for outside. Right. It's to be shared with those we know outside the church. Um, And we hope to get visitors here to hear it. But actually, church is for the gospel to be shared with believers. and, And if you're not a believer here today, the gospel is for you. But the gospel is for even believers that we would continue to to be thought out and that it would continue to have its way and it would continue to show us that Christ would continue to show us his mercy and grace. So even preaching from Genesis, what I've been encouraged by as I've been reading Genesis and thinking about this beginning book is how the gospel, how Christ um, presses his face against every page of scripture, that he is present uh, in all these, in, in every word of scripture, in all of it. Um, so I'll be preaching a little bit in Genesis. Now I'm, now I'm to Genesis. So there we are. And I only have two verses. I have like two points. Uh, thank you. So if, so thinking about Genesis, it's the beginning. It's the first book of the Bible. And if, if you guys miss the beginning of anything, 
what kind of person are you in the life of other people if you miss the beginning? Like, just think about it. Um, if you miss the beginning of a, uh, if you only read the ending of a book, or if you miss the beginning of a movie, or if you miss the beginning of a conversation that you just walk into, I am notorious for this. Uh, walking into a conversation, I missed everything, but I just start talking like I know exactly what's being said. And I, if you miss the beginning, you're usually super annoying. First of all, like it because you just don't know what's really happening. Um, you don't understand the ending. So like if you're reading something and, and you don't know the beginning, you really will misread the ending, even if you, you're one of those who skips ahead because you want to know who did it, maybe. But it's still, you've got to read the beginning. So what's my point? Yeah, Genesis is very important. And you're like, I know Genesis. It's, you know, it's the creation. And it's 50 chapters. It's long. We get it. Right. But, oh, and I was going to tell you, some of the things that people are also, that it's the beginning is super important because not knowing the beginning, it'll, it's going to mess you up later. But the other thing that people are really concerned about with Genesis is the creation narrative, which we'll, we'll maybe look at a little bit. And we were hearing a little bit about that from Wade as he was talking about what are God's thoughts last week and, you know, the universe and beyond. Those are God's thoughts. And we get to see a little bit of God's thoughts in Genesis as he is creating, you know, the universe, our, our known world. But as far as the creation narrative, I just want to say I'm not going to touch that today. And you're like, thank you, but I won't. However, there are um, more than one acceptable view among very godly people. So that might be news to you, that there are actually about four views of the creation narrative in Genesis that are very acceptable, biblical, lots of cases can be made, um, and that might surprise you. Um, when I'm looking at Genesis over the course of a f- this few sermons that I'm doing this year, uh, I'll be referring to Jack Collins, he, his work in Genesis. So he's an academic. He's a godly person. I actually know him, um, which is one of the reasons I like his, his stuff, because I, when I read him, I can kind of think of him. But he's a, he's a great uh, Genesis scholar. So anything I say that's helpful about Genesis probably is from Jack Collins. So Jack Collins, thank you. Um, all right, so... When I say that Christ is, you know, pressing his face against all of Scripture, uh, especially in Genesis, I, I think it's he's here. Paul is the one who highlights this for us. It's not just me saying this. In Colossians 1, related to the creation narrative in Genesis 1, Paul says, For by Jesus Christ, this is in Colossians 1, For by Jesus Christ all things were created. Christ, it's by Christ that all things were created. Actually, the third person of the Trinity, and we're walking through the Heidelberg Catechism, which is amazing. Um, it's the third person of the Trinity that was actually, he, he, his person was the one really involved in creation. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Christ and, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is Colossians 1. And so, related to the creation narrative in Genesis 1, Paul says, Christ is the one. He created it all, and in him, creation is being held together. So, your life, you, your molecules right now, is being held together by the Lord Jesus Christ. According to Paul, according to Scripture, and your life is being held together. And you're like, Tom, my life is being held together like by not even super glue and a thread. I mean, maybe that's how you feel some days. Right. And Christ is holding all of that together. Like, he's holding you together. 
And Genesis is going to bear that out for us in ways that maybe, maybe will be new to us. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness is over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Um, I just have two points to make, and then the kids can come back. We'll have communion. The kids can come back, and we'll continue to worship God in our day. It's a huge no-no to ever do a sermon with two verses also. Like in any homiletics course that any seminarian would take, you don't preach out of one verse or two. So here I am, what's my third time preaching at uh, at Indelible Grace, and I'm already doing the big homiletical like no-nos. But anyway, that's okay. I'm doing it. So in the beginning, God. It's it's so important that in the beginning, God. This The Hebrew here, and I never refer to the original languages like Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek because I think that's so pretentious and that's what academics do and stuff like that. Some academics do that. Um, but I, I am going to refer a little bit to the Hebrew because it's pretty interesting because it's not always, but sometimes it is. Oh, and we have 19 or 20 translations in English, so you don't really even need the original languages. Because if you're an English speaker, I think there are actually 40 translations in English. Like so, But Elohim is what's used for God here. And uh, it's used, Elohim's used all over the place. But in the beginning... The beginning is, so if you miss the beginning, here it is. It's all about God. The beginning, like, well, I thought it was all about him creating us and everything we see. Yeah, sure, it is. I mean, maybe that's what you're thinking or maybe that's just me. But it's sort of like when you see get a picture and you're looking for yourself in it. None of you do that, right? When you, you I, do, do y'all do that? Because I do that. You're like, we know you do that, Tom. Thank you. But, you know, you get a picture like, where am I? So you're like, we're reading Genesis. In the beginning, God created heavens. You know, I'm like, when do I come into the story? When am I going to? Well, right now, today, you know, we're really not here. It's really about God. It's his story. It's his beginning. Some of you might be saying, yeah, so then God is to blame for this big mess we're in right now. Like if God is the beginning, he created all this. He's, he's the one. I mean, some of your friends and maybe even you sitting here today, one of the reasons maybe you don't even want to think about God is because he started this whole mess. And so you, you really just want to think he doesn't exist or he's a horrible God if he started all the mess. And I totally hear you on that. I totally hear you. But the cool thing is, Tim Keller, I think, said things. I should have checked my sources on this, right? You're like, Tom, you had at least two weeks. Thank you. True. But I think Tim Keller said that for him, for Tim Keller, who's a, he's a pastor in New York, um, he said, and I think it's in his book, Reason for God, which is a great book. I highly recommend Reason for God uh, to anyone. It's a great, hand that to anybody. It's a great book. But he said for himself, if God started this whole thing, and even though it seems like a total, you know, ride through crazy town right now with God, that he started it and it's a big mess and even my own life feels that way, he said... Tim Keller said something, and I'm very much paraphrasing, that he feels better at least knowing that there's somebody at the wheel. You know, at least if you don't trust him a lot or it looks like we are going through crazy time, at least somebody's at the wheel. And, you know, it's not Jesus take the wheel. It's God has always been at the wheel. He started the wheel. He created the wheel. He put a big pink fuzzy thing around it. I mean, he's at the wheel. And for Tim Keller, he said, that's reassuring. Because if there's no one, 
if no one's at the wheel and it's just kind of a free-for-all, that feels scarier. At least I agree with Tim Keller on this one. I don't always agree with Tim Keller. I do most of the time. But on that one, I'm in agreement. Having at least God at the wheel, even if things are a mess, okay, right? So he is. And the scriptures here in this first verse also give us the idea that at the perfect time, God started all of this, which means that God's timing is always perfect. So maybe this is what you came to hear. So if you've gone away from me because I get rambly in storytelling, one of the things that I hope that you'll hear this morning is that whatever's going on in your life, that God's timing, as it was in the beginning, is perfect. He knows exactly the second. He knows that we fell back an hour and he'll be able to keep up with everything. You know, even though, didn't we vote two years ago that that should go away? I don't, I don't know why it's still happening. But so, oh, and I, I have to mention that to say that God is still in control of all of this, that his timing, all this stuff, you know, to people like Richard Dawkins is, I mean, he's a famous scientist, I guess. But, um, you know, he thinks Christians and Jewish people are completely insane for thinking that there's anything in control of any of this. And, you know, I read, I've read, I think, all of Dawkins' books, Dawkins, yeah, Dawkins, his books. And, you know, he's like, you Christians and, you know, Jewish people too, your fantastical world of ghosts and goblins, it's not real. And, you know, I, I guess I'm guilty. You know, I always, I read his stuff and I'm like, yeah, I just need, I need God to be, yeah, to be at the helm of all this, even if it seems insane to I guess people. So if some of your friends, if you're a believer and they're not, and they're like, you're, you're, yeah, you could just, yeah, it seems crazy. I know. Um, okay. My last point. You know, uh, sorry. I mean, thank you. One of the things that I was thinking of with God being at the helm of, of all of this was that when I was nine years old and my brother was 14 with his motorcycle license, uh, I would get on his motorcycle with him because he was my big brother and he had a motorcycle and I'm nine and I'm all about being on a motorcycle with my big brother. And so I, I always, and he did the craziest things on that motorcycle, really. Um, and I never once, and you're like, well, you were nine, but I never once feared for my life at all. I had my arms around my big brother and I just felt like the happiest person alive. And even, I was with my brother just um, under a year ago, I guess back in April, I was with my big brother and he's, you know, old now and everything. And I was driving around with him in his truck and he drives like he did when he was 14. Um, And I think I forgot to put my seatbelt on. Like I am just so happy to be with my big brother in any sort of uh, thing with wheels that I don't even think about it. You know, he just tears out and he's all over the place. And I just feel so happy and never worried one second. It's weird, right? It is, isn't it? Because I should put my seatbelt. I mean, eventually I had to because his car's new and his truck is new enough where it started making noise. But I feel a little bit that way with God most of the time. Like, you know what? I don't have my seatbelt on today or I have no idea where we're going, but I trust him. Uh, I mean, and that's not every day, but... So I'm telling you that you can kind of think of God as my, my brother. He's amazing, amazing driver. God's even better. All right, so verse two. And this is what I really want to spend the last few minutes 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering. You'll notice that's kind of in my sermon sort of series as I'm looking at Genesis over the next several sermons. Um, This hovering word is really something that caught my eye because it's just a weird verse. In verse 2 of the entire Bible, God is hovering over nothing. He's hovering over the abyss. And this is what I came to say from Scripture about God from this verse in Genesis 1, verse 2. That before there is even anything, God's creation, he hasn't done it yet. He's, he's maybe like Wade was bringing to us last week. It was in his thinking that he was going to do it, but it was still void. Things We were still formless and void. We were just not even a gleam, really, in our Father's eye, so to speak. And what was God doing? Hovering. And in the Hebrew, which I don't use, I don't usually... (laughs) Here, I've done it twice already. So many rules I'm breaking today of my own. But hovering here gives you this sense of, um, of weakness, of vulnerability, of God being sort of soft and vulnerable and kind of weak at the, like, it's the sense that God is swooning over nothing. So here's the application. If you're like, okay, okay, that's interesting. Here's the application. Here's the gospel. Before you or I get to do anything amazing, not even a gleam in God's eyes here, like before anything happens, he's really loving us. He's still He's hovering close and and excited. Like he's got this sense of excitement about what's coming before you and I are even created. We don't get the chance to say, look what I can do. You know, we don't we don't get to show him anything. Our good stuff. We don't even get to show him our bad stuff so that he's like, you know, we're like, don't look at that. He he's in love with what he's thinking of doing, which means that by the time he does it and we're here, he's in love and still hovering over you and me at this moment in the gospel because of Christ, who was creating in this moment. So it was even Christ hovering over our void, formless nothing. So as you walk out of here today and you're thinking, I should be doing this, I should be doing that, that I need to be showing God this, I need to be showing him. And yes, the gospel means that as as the gospel takes hold and thaws us and works in us, that we are doing so much. Hopefully, the so much is loving people around us who, frankly, you know, maybe shouldn't be loved by, I mean, you know, and because we know ourselves, we shouldn't be apart from Christ. I mean, the gospel absolutely brings about so much activity and fervor that brings glory to God. But what I want you to walk out with is, even before you get the chance to think about what you should be doing for him, or even before you get the chance to to beat yourself up for what you haven't done, that God's grace is hovering close by his spirit, that he loves you, that he's weak in the knees over you. He's in love with his people. Like, it's so, I know it sounds hokey, but the scriptures are using the word hovering like a, a, a mama over her baby birds. I don't know much about, what's the ology of birds? It's like, or, or, thank you. 
God is, is feeding us and caring for us in this way in Christ by the gospel for the rest of your days. So may God encourage you with his hoveringness throughout this week. And even as we come to the Lord's Supper, uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together because here the Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to partake of the gospel, right? We're thinking about the body and the blood of Christ and we're trying to ingest these elements and in some way asking God's spirit to apply them to our hearts, to thaw us if we came in cold, to give us hope if we came in feeling hopeless or on the edge of that. Um, So let, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are hovering over Indelible Grace Church. Um, Jesus, you're doing that by your spirit uh, because you love your people. You love this church. You're doing that in your church around the world. So grateful. Hear our hearts cry that you would hover over us in ways that bring life, hope, and peace, and all the things that we need to love those around us and to love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.